has spoken. I was asked to come here and complain, uh, and it's hard when you love the church and the pastor so much, but I'm a comedian, I can do it. <laughs> Let's see, what can we complain about? Yeah, yeah, have you been to our third place cafe? Why isn't it in first place? Why is it in third place, you know? How come all the pastors that do the communion over-prepare? You know, they're always over-prepare. Why can't you just say, here's the bread, here's the wine, let's do it. How come we always have two guitarists, one is standing still and the other one squirming all the time? How come Pastor Ronnie Roa from Generate looks so good? And he always wears shirts that two sizes too small. <laughs> How come Pastor Doug Hewson is so skinny, you know, our superintendent? He eats everything and still skinny. I hate that. How come our worship leader, Pastor Tim Robbins, you know, how come he has long hair? He looks like Jesus with glasses. <laughs> you know, how come Pastor Chuck teaches from the NIV iPad? He should teach from the New King James iPad. If you're Baptist, you're laughing at this one. You know, how, you know one time, you know, Pastor Chuck taught one week on uh, freedom from bondage. It took me 20 years to get in bondage. He thinks he can get me out of it in one week. <laughs> You know, and then for the married men, help me out on this one. How come every Sunday after listening to Chuck, I have to go home and tell my wife, honey, I can never be as romantic with you as Pastor Chuck is with Pam. <laughs> and I'm complaining, our church is getting too big now. You know, what's next? You call the prayer hotline, you get a guy from India. Complaining is old. I mean, think of Moses. I feel sorry for Moses. Moses has a million and a half Jews. And you know, Jews love, you know, they know how to complain, you know, and nag. And They're in a million and a half with them in the desert going, hey, Moses, how come there's no casino in this desert? <laughs> hey, Moses, when's the California bullet train coming? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, Moses, I have nowhere to charge my iPhone. Hey, Moses, I need some gluten-free manna. Do you have any quail nuggets, Moses? Moses, uh, my camel's overheating, and my goat needs some sunscreen, and my sheep is having hot flashes. <laughs> hey, Moses, how come you don't have a reality show called Moses versus Wilderness? <clears throat> hey, Moses, says next exit 2,000 miles, I need to pee. <laughs> hey, Moses, didn't say in the last day there'll be MapQuest? I don't know. Well, but if I want to complain, I can complain about gas prices. Isn't gas prices, what, five bucks now? When a Middle Eastern man complains about gas prices, you know it's bad. Because my whole family owns gas stations, so. <laughs> it's, you know, things are expensive, you know. 
you know, I went the other day, my wife sent me to Albertsons on Foothill. She gave me 12 items to buy, $260. I'm serious, I get to the counter, the lady goes, you wanna donate a dollar toward hunger? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I said, you know, a, a can of peanuts, $15 for a can of peanuts? Isn't peanuts means nothing? I go, how come it's expensive? She goes, well, gas prices are up. Well, tell me where they grow it. I'll go pick it up myself. <laughs> one avocado is 99 cents. What are you going to do with one avocado? I go, how come it's 99? She goes, well, it's a seasonal fruit. Seasonal, it grows in California. We don't have seasons in California. <laughs> we have 106 degrees for two weeks and then rain the next day. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just gets me. And then she goes, you want paper or plastic? No, I want a gift box. Wrap it up, put a bow on it. <laughs> you go to Walmart, why pay more? Because you charge me more. <laughs> this shirt is $38 at department stores. Atroz is $11.95. <laughs> no, I didn't buy it Atroz. Because <laughs> they don't tell you Atroz. Did you know they everything is slightly defective? Slightly. One time I bought a shirt from them, it was one sleeve is shorter than the other. I had to perform like this all night. <laughs> and then one pair of shoes, it was slightly defective, both were going left. <laughs> you walk long enough, you're going in circles. But right now, you know, I've been doing this for 20 some years, I've been to thousands and thousands of churches, I've talked to pastors all over the world, and you know what, we do sometimes take it for granted, we have one of the most godliest pastors, shepherds, that God brought to, to us, so please, let's show some love to our senior pastors, Chuck Boer. Good job, man, good job, love you too. Oh, let's let Nazareth know again how much we appreciate him. Man, I'll tell you what, we are blessed to have uh, him as a part of our church family. By the way, we're blessed to have you. Uh, a year ago, we're coming up on one year at 24-7, and I shared with you, and I mean this, that uh, the greatest blessing that God has given Crossroads is that we have each other. It's our people. It's this church family. And I love what God is doing here. I love you. I, I pray today is going to be a day that we all come together around the word and allow God to transform us and change us. But I want it to be a celebration time as we get into something very, very heavy. So I hope you're in 1 Corinthians 10 and Numbers chapter 11. I also really, really hope that you've read the sixth chapter of the story. And if you haven't been reading it, then, then it's not too late to catch up. You can read a chapter a day and easily be up with us. If you said, I don't have a copy, well, they're, they're out there. And if you said, I can't afford one, you already know what we're saying. Well, we'll give you one. Because I want you to know God's word. I want you to know it better than you've ever known it before. And uh, that's our desire. That's our heart that you would know that. And I want this to be a church that, that, that really has God's word is our foundation and what drives us forward. Uh, just one other thought before we pray. Um, uh, today, uh, about 2.30, Pam and I are going to catch a flight to White Plains, Indiana. You might ask, why would we go to White Plains, Indiana? Um, there's a church there that's running about 2,500, and they just want to go to the new level. And because of you and because of how God's moving here, they said, we want to know what happened at Crossroads so we can move forward. So I'm going to be meeting with their board this week and their staff, sharing that with them. I will be back next weekend because uh, I don't want to miss being with you. But I, I feel like God's opening some doors for us to take what God's doing here and, and, and touch other lives. So 
I just want to let you know it's going to be a good time. I think God's going to use it. Let's ask God to use our time. Father, I ask for your spirit to set us free. God, I ask right now where hearts need to be changed, they'll be changed. And it really will happen in this moment when your word, your truth comes to us and we allow ourselves to look into your word as a mirror and see ourselves for who we are and who we now can be in you. And I pray as we look at your word and look at you that transformation takes place. And as our hearts changed, I know our attitudes, our thoughts, and our speech changes. But help us not miss how important today is, how much it matters in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where we're at is the whole idea of the story is there's an upper story, which is God's vantage point of everything that's occurring and how God uses everything for good for those who love him and live their lives according to his purpose. Then there's a lower story. When we're in the lower story, we can't see the upper story, but we just trust God in faith that he has us and wants us and, and wants to do amazing things in us. But we saw over here that it began when God, through the upper story, created the heavens and the earth, and he created man and woman, and he created them, if you caught it, to be good and very, very good. When you and I are living the life God wants us to, guess what? You should be experiencing the good or the very good. Now, if you're in a moment or a season where I go, I'm not really seeing it in this moment because the lower story, I can't see what God's doing, then either one of two things are the case. So number one, it could be that God has you on a journey and you're about to get blessed more than you can imagine. Or it could be you're doing something wrong. It could be you're in sin. It could be you're off base. But when you are experiencing life with God, it should be the good and the very, very good. Well, we know that God created it that way, wants it that way, but then man sinned. He messed it all up. And yet God wanting you and I to experience the very, very good and acted a way for us still to grab hold of it and to have it be a part of who we are. And how does that happen? It happens through faith. And we got to Abraham and we see that Abraham because of faith in God, became the friend of God, became intimate with God, and the very good was put back into his life. And he was given his heart's desire. He was given a child, and he was given the promise of a family, the promise of a people, and the promise of a nation, and the promise of a redeemer who would come and free us from sin and bring us more than ever into a life with God. So we see that there was creation and there was Abraham and then Joseph went to Egypt where the nation of Israel was conceived in the land of Egypt and then Moses was used to give birth to this nation. And last week we saw that they came to Mount Sinai and there God gave them the Ten Commandments for the purpose of creating an intimate relationship with him. He gave them the tabernacle for the purpose of having a place to meet with him. And he gave them a, a calling to be loved and share love with him. And then he said, now after what he's going to take a year, he takes one year at Mount Sinai for them to prepare the tabernacle, build the tabernacle, and then get ready to march to the land of Israel, the promised land. And then after that one year, they were to take an 11-day journey. That's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. It would be an 11-day journey that they would take to get there, and then they would inherit a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that's amazing, a land that's incredible, a land that would be a dreamland beyond their wildest dreams. But it turns into a nightmare. Now, I want you to think about this. They're on the edge of promise. They're on the border of achieving their wildest dreams, and they don't get it. And it turns into a nightmare. Now why? 
Why does that happen? Well, if you're in 1 Corinthians 10 in a minute, I want you to see that God says that you and I need to learn from this because it could happen to us. Now, now, what are we saying? What is God saying? He's saying to me and he's saying to you that he wants to give us a life that is beyond imagination, that eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered in your heart or imagination. All that God has prepared for those who love him. If you love the Lord, that's your life. If you're not living it, God says, look at the children of Israel and learn from them. This may be why. So what happened that kept them from inheriting this? What happened that did not allow them to, to achieve the land of promise? Well, it comes down to this. They did not have true faith in God, and, and this is huge, they complained. They complained. They were negative, complaining people. Now, I want to say this as clearly as I can. No one... No one who has a real faith in God and is focused in God and experiencing the presence of God can complain. It's impossible. If you have a real faith in God and, and a real focus on God and you're experiencing his presence, it is literally impossible to complain. So what the Bible says is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I'm complaining, then my faith in God is not real, at least in that moment. My focus is definitely not on the Lord, and I'm certainly not going to have his presence because God will not be in the presence of a complainer. It's that big a deal. Now, I want to have you see that God wants us to learn from this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things happened as an example for us. See, he says, I want you to learn from this. Because this could be your life. I don't want it to be. But this could be you. He says, this happened as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did. And were destroyed by the serpent. And verse 10, nor grumble. The word grumble means to complain. The NIV has a word to wail nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. By the way, don't miss when God wanted to, to kill a complainer. He didn't use snakes. He didn't use, he just actually sent an angel, just kill him, put him to death. Do you catch how big a deal this is to God? Just kill him. And then in verse 11, it says, now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. God doesn't want us to miss this. God doesn't want us to miss the one of the things that would keep you and I from experiencing the very good life and to understand the hope and the destiny we have and to have it enacted in our life is when we begin to be complainers. Why? Because that is very, very clearly what's in our heart. If I'm a complainer, by the way, you're not judging me if you say you have a lack of faith. You're discerning the truth. If I see you complaining, you can't, you go, you go, well, you can't judge me. No, the Bible's clear. That is such an obvious, clear sign of a lack of faith in God and a lack of intimacy with God. We can't miss it. 
And God refuses to bless anybody like that. And when we study uh, Numbers 11 is where I hope you are, and what do we see? They were complainers, complainers, complainers. And God says, I, I just can't bear it. I won't. So in 11 verse 1, they complain about their hardships. Now catch that. Did they have hardships? Yes. But are they to complain about them? No. By the way, they were supposed to have hardships. They're going to take an 11-day journey through the desert to get to the promised land. The trip is not the point. The journey's not the point. It's the promised land that's the point. It's not supposed to be any fun on the promised land or until they get to the promised land. The journey itself, they start complaining about it so they miss out on the promise. And in 11 verse 1, it says these words. Now the people became, boy, and don't miss this, they became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them on the outskirts of the camp. I don't know if you've got it, but it just gets me. And I want to tell you, I hope that you're listening with me, with me, not, I, let's look at this together. They became like those who complain of adversity. Why does it say it that way? You're ready? Because no one who follows God and no one who loves God should become like someone who complains of adversity. That, that, we should never be like that. We should never say it's okay. By the way, even if there's a hardship, even if things aren't easy, don't ever, and don't ever let any of us become like those who complain of adversity. They complained about hardship. By the way, they complain about their food and their situation. This one Blows my mind. I, I don't know if it will yours, but look down at verse four. I'm going to read from the message. I love how the message says this. It says this in verse four. The riffraff among the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and got it free to say nothing of the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. <laughs> Do you know what manna was? It was the very bread of God. Now think about this. I don't know about you. Every morning they'd get up and watch the dew settle. And then when it rose, the very bread of God would be in front of them. How could you not be in awe of that? I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, I'm not a morning person, but I get up in the morning for that. I'd get up and go, come on, Pam, watch, watch. God's bread's coming. I mean, could you imagine the awe, the wonder, the amazement of watching God provide bread for millions of people all at once? And what did they do? They complained about God's moving. They complained about God's miracle. And here's the other thing that gets me. The manna was sweet. God gave them donuts in the morning and they complained. How do you do that? I mean, it's like, oh, come on, Lord, more. I mean, how, how do you do that? Now, now, you know why? This is interesting. People who complain do not see the hand of God. They're, they're hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, Jesus would do miracles and the Pharisees would complain. And Jesus called that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, now think, here's Jesus in their midst and they can't see it. Here's God providing manna and they don't get it. It just is an amazing thing. But don't miss this. It says it started with a few and it spread to the many. You know why? Because negativity and complaining is contagious and it's toxic. It's a cancer, God says, that spreads and ruins and wrecks what God would want to do and destroys joy. Uh, I've seen that happen again and again. 
I, 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 have you ever gone to dinner and one person starts complaining and it ruins the whole meal? Yeah, yeah. Or have you ever watched a family gathering and one person complains and it wrecks the family? I've seen it in a church. I've seen a few people start complaining and then what happens, it just starts spreading and it ruins everything good. that I've seen whole churches taken down by this. Uh, I, it's even worse when it's in leadership. If the leadership gets that way, you're in trouble. And, and it started with what the Bible calls the rabble or the riffraff. My wife Pam said, what does that mean? And she looked it up. And you know what the, the definition is? The scum. God actually is calling some people scum. Because that's what they do. And, 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 and I just can't imagine how they could do that. How they could let that happen. And you know why? You ready? When we complain, our perspective is just off. And it, by the way, it gets worse and worse and worse. I want you to think about this. When I am complaining or you're complaining, complaining magnifies the wrong, minimizes what's good, and misses what matters. When you and I complain, we magnify the wrong, we miss the good, and we minimize what matters. Or we minimize the good and we miss what matters. That's just what happens. Again, I've seen that. Um, Last year, our Christmas show, God Moved, and this year, I think it's going to happen again. But, but we got together here and, and we put on a, 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 a kind of an incredible opportunity to celebrate God and life and Christmas and family. And then we gave the invitation. I gave the invitation. Are you ready for this? 60 people came forward to give their lives to Christ. 60. And I, I yeah, and I, I think that's awesome. And I walked out the store and got met by four different people over the course of the shows who were complaining. And I'm standing there going, what? One person bumped into someone crying because they were giving their life to Christ so they could complain. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And let me be as clear as I can. I was not mad, but I was sad. I was sad for them not seeing what God was doing. I was sad for them that they're that kind of a person. They became like those who complained. I was sad for them that that says everything about their heart and life and how they're going to walk out and live. And I really did care, but I was sad. You see, complaining magnifies the wrong, minimizes what's right or good, and misses what matters. And these people, these people who were an example to us are slaves. They're in bondage, but, but not, not because God wants them to be. They're enslaved in their hearts and minds. And then their perspective is so off. Did you catch what they said? They said, when we were in Egypt, we got our food for free. They were slaves. How do you, now, now, you know your perspective's off when being on a journey with God to the promised land is seen as worse than being in slavery in Egypt. You and I know that's true too. And, and God doesn't want it to be that way. And, and we can't allow that to happen. And so what happens is when someone complains, you know what, they just can't see correctly. They just can't see correctly, and they don't have the right perspective. Then there are results that come, and if you're in Numbers 11, look at verse 10. Again, I want to ring for the message. It says this, Moses heard the whining of all the families whining in front of their tents, and listen, God's anger blazed up, and Moses saw things were in a very bad way. You know what the first result of complaining is? God gets mad. 
11.1, is says, God gets mad. In the message, I love how he says it because it's right out of the Hebrew. His anger blazed over it. It angers God. It, it causes God to be fuming mad whenever anybody complains. Uh, if you look at verse 11, again from the message, it not only gets God angry, it ruins lives. It ruined the life of Moses. Listen to what it says here. Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother and carry them all the way into the land you promised to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me? Give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. It's too much for me. All these people. Now listen to this last one. If this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. Could you imagine? He said, I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. Have you ever been like that? I have. I was in a meeting one time and the complaining started and I actually thought, Lord, just put me to death. I mean, if a sniper shot me in the head right now, it'd be a blessing. I looked at my watch and said, I've got another 30 minutes of this. 30 minutes with these people right now? I don't want it. That's what complainers do. They just ruin everything and they anger God and they just wreck lives. And you know what else happens? You ready? A complainer always loses out on blessing. A complainer always loses out on blessing. That's another result of it. And again, I'm going to read from the message, verses 18 to 20. God says, all right, I wanted to bless you, but since I can't bless you, I'm going to curse you. Now, now don't miss that. They're not only not going to get the blessing of God, they're going to get a curse from God because God's angry at them. So they lose out on being blessed. God wanted to bless them and bless them and bless them. And now God says, you know what? I'm just going to curse you. Did you know God does that? Now, now, I'll tell you why in a minute, but notice, first of all, he does it, verse 18. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves. Get ready for tomorrow when you're going to eat meat. You've been whining to God. We want meat. Give us meat. We had a better life in Egypt. And God has heard your whining. He's going to give you meat. You're going to eat meat. And it's not just going to be for a day that you'll eat meat. And not just two days or five days or 10 or 20, but for a whole month. You're going to eat meat until it's coming out your nostrils. <laughs> You're going to be so sick of meat, you'll throw up the mere mention of it. And here's why. Why? Because you have rejected God. When someone complains, they've rejected God. And by the way, you might say, oh no, that's not true. The Bible says it's true. When I complain or you complain, we're rejecting God. He said, why is this happening? You have rejected God who is right here among you, whining to his face. Oh, why did we ever leave Egypt? Whenever we do that, we're literally rejecting God. And you know what? God, God in this case is trying to give them perspective. So what happens, again, if you right now aren't living this amazing life and things are turning on you and you're saying it seems to keep getting worse and rather than complaining, you ought to say, God, I repent. God, I want right perspective. God, I don't want to be this way. God, show me what really matters in life. Sometimes we just need somebody, God or someone, to tell us, just stop. Uh, I heard the story of a Little League game. And what happened in this Little League game is a father was just going ballistic. And, and I've seen parents do that. I don't know what happens in those moments. 
And, and his son got up to bat and struck out. And the dad stood up and with all the families there, his son just striking out and he starts screaming, what's wrong with you? Why can't you keep your eye on the, and then he starts cussing, blankety blank ball. And the umpire, seeing the little boy start to cry, seeing how embarrassed everybody was, the ump says, sir, you need to be quiet. And now he starts cussing out the umpire. And finally, another dad had had it, and he stands up and he goes, stop. And the guy stops for a second. And he says, stop. Don't you realize it's a beautiful day? Your son is healthy. You're one of the 8% of people in all the world who has a car. Why don't you quit whining like a girl and shut up and sit down and everybody cheered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's what, when you complain, believe it or not, people are looking for their moment to just say stop. God is looking for the moment to say stop. And here's why. Are you ready? It is never, ever okay to complain. It is always a sin to complain. Now, I want you to think about that. What does the Bible say? It's never okay with God to complain. It's always the sin to complain. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing so you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. That's the NIV. The New American says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. No grumbling, no complaining, no arguing, no disputing. We're not to be that way. And it says do everything without it. In other words, there's no situation, no time that it's okay. I can't and you can't be right with God and complain about anyone or anything. This is just not allowed. So I want to give you, and I hope you write these down, four scary truths that show what complaining is and what it does. Four scary truths of what complaining is and how it affects your life. Okay, four scary truths of how, what complaining is and how it affects your life. First of all, number one, complaining is the opposite of worship. Complaining is the opposite of worship. That's why it's wrong. We're to worship God, and, and when we are complaining, we're not worshiping God. So complaining is the opposite of worship. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, not in some things, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you grab that? Rejoice always, give thanks in everything. That's God's will for you and me. That's what God wants. And when we do not do that, we're out of the will of God and we're in sin. Now, now Kyle Eidelman, who's a pastor in, in Louisville, Kentucky, said this. He said, worship is giving God glory for who he is and what he does. Whining is ignoring who God is and what he has done. See, that, that's where the problem comes in. When I worship God, I'm thanking him for who he is and what he does in my life. And when I whine, when I whine, I'm ignoring who God is. And I'm ignoring what he's done for me. Uh, we don't get it at that point. Um, we, we think, you know what, that's just not okay. And, and God says, but you're not seeing life from the right perspective. Uh, a school teacher who led worship for a church uh, began her school year by praying this prayer. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I want to experience more. She said, God, I just really want to experience more. Show me where I can just get closer to you. And God opened her eyes of all places to the island of Tobago. 
And on that island is a leper colony where Christians run it to care for people whose bodies are racked with leprosy. And she found out about it. Just God directed her to it. She contacted them and said, hey, I have the summer free. Could I come down there and be with you? And they said, well, yeah, what are you doing? And she said, we, uh, my favorite thing to do is lead worship. And they said, we do not have a worship leader. Would you come down and lead worship for the summer? They were so elated. It was an answer to their prayer. So she goes to that island and all summer long, she's with the people and loving on them. It took her a little bit of time to get used to looking at them without turning away, but that went away pretty quickly when she saw their joy. And then came the very last night and uh, she is gonna be leaving one more night there and the people came and said, could we have an extended worship time? We just wanna praise God. So she gets there and she's leading with her guitar and they're worshiping and worshiping with this vibrant, passionate worship. And uh, then she goes, I don't, after hours, I, I don't know another song. Does anybody have a song we haven't sang? And, and a woman lifted a fingerless hand because it had been rotted off with leprosy. And through the crowd of people, she could see this fingerless hand in the air and she could see a face that had no nose and no ears. And the woman said, can we sing my favorite song? Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Do we count our blessings? Do we give thanks? That woman did. You know, I, I gotta tell you that that just amazes me when we get around our brothers and sisters who don't have near what we have, how they count their blessings. Because you know why? I, they got God. You've got God. God could not love you more than he does. And we ought to be worshiping him, not complaining. So complaining is the opposite of worship. Number two, complaining is worship of self and a sign of pride. Now you might say, well, it's the opposite of worship. It's the opposite of worshiping God, but complaining is a worship of self and a sign of pride. When you are complaining, you're saying this. You're saying, I deserve better. By the way, all you who are Christians in here, any Christian in here want to get what you deserve? Do any of us really want to get what we deserve? Right, no, no. So why would I think I deserve better? Because I've got to tell you, the grace of God, I do not deserve, and I love that, and so do you. And when you're complaining, you're saying, I deserve better. And when you're, say, when you're complaining, you're saying, God has not given me enough. When you're complaining, or I'm complaining, it's saying that everything that God has as asked of me is too much, and everything is God has done for me is too little. And it's just worshiping self and a sign of pride, and it's wrong. Number three, complaining is a sign of a lack of faith. It's a clear sign. It's a, it's a neon sign that I don't have faith. Uh, or you don't. Uh, complaining means we don't believe God can and will take and change anything. In Psalm 106, it's talking about the children of Israel. In verses 24 to 26, it says this. Then they despised the pleasant land. Remember, it's an 11-day journey to enter the promised land, but because of their complaining, they despised it. They didn't get it. And when we complain, we're despising the miracle God could do. So it says they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word. Why? Because that's a sign of a lack of faith. They grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he swore to them that he would cast them down in the wilderness. You see, we, we don't want to be that way. Whenever we complain, what happens is it's a sign of a lack of faith, and we just need to trust God for better. 
We need to believe God for more. John Ortberg said this. John Ortberg said, it, rather than complaining, we ought to have four words we repeat over and over again. I want to actually try it. So get ready. I'm going to ask you to respond. Here's the four words. I want you to memorize them. It could be worse. Okay? I want you to memorize that. It could be worse. I want to try that together so we can kind of lock that in. So I'm going to ask you to repeat the phrase, it could be worse. On three, ready? One, two, three. Okay, that sounded good. Let's try it again. Uh, uh, it could be worse on three. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, so you, you go to work and, and your job's a mess and, and, and people are difficult and, and the day seems to drag on, but it right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, and, and so, you know, you look at your finances, and you don't think you have enough, and you're not sure how you're going to make ends meet, but... Okay, cool, cool. We got that. Okay, you, you took a shower, and you got out of the shower, and you accidentally saw yourself in the mirror. <laughs> and you look and think, oh my gosh, if only I had so-and-so's body. No, don't think that. Instead, think could be worse, right? Okay, you wake up in the morning and look at your spouse, and... No, not really. No, um... <laughs> No, 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 no. We're not doing that one, no. It could be worse. It could be worse. Um, I love that phrase, but I got another one that I like better. So you decide, because that's a good one. Uh, but I've got another one I like better. You know what it is? A miracle's coming. It's four words. A miracle is coming. You know why? Because it is. It really is. Uh, when things get hard, a miracle's coming. When life gets tough, a miracle's coming. Uh, when, when the place you work at is a mess, a miracle's coming. When your marriage is, is got a time of strain, guess what? If you trust God, a miracle's coming. When your children are not a joy, a miracle's coming. Uh, when you look at your body, guess what? A miracle's coming. It's the rapture. <laughs> He's going to transform it. I, I look sometimes and go, I can't wait. It's a real miracle. See, when you understand the upper story, not one tear is shed that's not cared about. Not one moment of sadness is not there that God won't turn you into dancing. We know that. In the moment, we might not see everything, but when we look to him, we go, God, it's coming. What does Romans 8.28 say? It says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. God causes all things, not some all things to work together for good for those who love him and, of course, I forgot the end, and live your life according to his purpose. If I love the Lord and you love the Lord and I live my life according to his purpose, he will turn everything into something amazing and good. That's what God does. That's who he is. And you know that and I know that if you know him. And so guess what? A miracle's coming. You should know it. It is. And God loves to do miracles. He loves to take moments to transform. He loves to give manna in the wilderness. And he loves to make it sweet and beautiful and alive and good. And that's an example for you and I to, to trust him with that. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God makes all things beautiful in his time. All things somehow. And I've been around long enough with the Lord to see him do it. And the harder it is, the more difficult the situation. You know what I found, and many of you have too, the greater the miracle. The greater the miracle. That's just who God is and what he does. And so we just ought to do that because complaining is a sign of lack of faith. But if we have faith, we know that God moves mountains. We know God uproots mulberry trees. We know that God changes hearts and lives. We know God redeems and restores. We know God causes all things to turn to good. So we should have that kind of faith. Number four, complaining brings a curse on you and your life. Now I hope that you listen to this part 
All of it matters. This is the most important. Complaining brings a curse on you and your life. The Bible teaches that. I, I, if you're not there, turn to Psalm 109. I want to have you look at something that's heavy. But, but let me say this. Uh, when we read the word cursing in the Bible, do not curse. Complaining is one way we curse. Robert Morris brought that out in an incredible way in a, ser- in a sermon series called The Power of Words. It's be worth listening to. I'm going to refer to it in a minute. But, you know, obviously, if I were to come in here and cuss, that would be cursing. If I used an expletive word, that's cursing. If I walk out on this stage and unleashed a series of words, four-letter words, I think some of you would rally against me in a very right way and say, that's just wrong. Well, you ready? Complaining is equal to that. Just wrong. Uh, complaining is equal to that. And, and, and it should not happen. By the way, that's when you do Sabbath. You ready? If you're really doing a Sabbath, you're not allowed to complain. Uh, God doesn't want it to be that what we do and who we are. Um, But it curses you. The University of Denver did a study and they found out something that quantified this. It's not a surprise, but you probably already know it, but let me tell you what they were able to, to quantify. They found that if someone, someone's speech had 5% or less negative statements per 100. In other words, 5% of what you say was negative, 95% was positive. So if it was 5% or less, here's what they found. Their marriages were reported to be good, healthy, alive, and vibrant. They tended to say their home was a joy. Their children felt valued and loved. And, And they tended to have an incredible view of life. They saw life as good. Now, are you ready? If someone had 10% or, or less statements, that 5 to 10% is all it takes. If 10% of what you say is negative or complaining, guess what they found? That every situation the marriage is reported is not a happy marriage. And it was one of the best ways to point divorce was coming. The children felt unvalued and did not want to be at home because the house did not feel like a home. And people who complained 10% of the time said that their workplace was miserable and they almost always found themselves not being successful. If you use just one out of 10 negative statements, that's all it takes. Well, what if you use two or three? It's like the Richter scale. It doesn't just double. It, it, It goes up at an astronomical rate. Why? Because you're cursing your life. You're cursing your life. And and, and God warns about that. Psalm 109 is scary, and I want to have you read this with me. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. Who is he referring to? Who is being talked about here? Well, let's look at verse 17 and listen to what it says. He also loved cursing, so it came to him. He did not delight in blessings, so it was far from him. But he clothed himself with cursing as with the garment, and it entered into his body like water and like oil into his bones. Whoever this man is, he did not love blessings, so it was far from him. He loved cursing, so he was cursed himself. He clothed him. Everywhere he went, he was someone who cursed and complained. And so what happened? It went all the way to the depth of his bones. Who is this man? Are you ready? According to Acts chapter 1, verse 20, it's Judas. It's Judas. In other words, you ready? If I'm a person who has praise 
and faithful words and faith-oriented words, I'm like Christ, I'm like Jesus. If I'm a complainer, I'm like Judas. Do we want to be like Jesus or like Judas? And, and we, we really, by the way, have a choice. I can tell you what God wants you to do. I can tell you what God desires for you to do is to be like Christ. In Romans 8, it says it's God's plan, destiny for you to be conformed into the image of his son. But when we praise, we're like Jesus. When we complain, we're like Judas. And we need to know that. Um, God really, really convicted me of this. And he took me on a journey starting last January. Last January, um, I was talking with Pam. I'll, I'll never forget the moment. We're sitting in our living room, and I just, there's a particular person in our life, and I just start complaining again, again. And, and I'm going and going and going and going, and all of a sudden, I, I don't know what happened other than maybe just the Holy Spirit. I just stopped for a second, and Pam said, what's wrong? And I said, do you realize what I'm doing? And by the way, it was contagious. I got Pam doing it too. I said, Pam, we can't do this. This just isn't right. I can't say another word about this person like this ever again. I can't see them as an irritation. I can't. And so I said, I'm making a commitment to you and to God. I'm going to start blessing them. Every time I think of them, I'm going to think of the blessing there. I'm going to look for the good. I'm going to pronounce blessing over them. I'm going to pray for them better. So that was in January. Then uh, about two months later, I started listening to Robert Morris teach on the power of words. And he actually quoted this passage. I had read it, and I went, oh, wow, and it really hit. And then Robert Morris told about, uh, he was, he's a hunter. He loves to hunt, and hunting season was coming. And so he, he wanted to have his gun cleaned and, and prepared. And one of his friends said, hey, I got to tell you, the best gunsmith in all the Dallas area. And he gave him his address, but it was in a home, which kind of surprised him. And he took his shotgun and gave it to the guy. Well, in the minute he handed it to the guy, the guy just starts cussing. And he's cussing this, complaining about that, cussing this, complaining. And Robert Moore stands there thinking, do you even know I'm a pastor? And when he kind of said, hey, by the way, I'm a pastor, he said he, he cut his cussing down a little. But man, he just kept going. And when he came back to get his gun, the guy, again, he's just unleashing. And, and, and he's, you know, blank, you know, cussing this out, cussing this gun out, cussing this manufacturer, cussing new ammunition, cussing that people don't care. And, and, and when Robert Morris got the gun, he went to his friend and said, why would you send me to him? And he goes, well, he's the best. He used to have a thriving business, but he lost it. He goes, I'll tell you why he lost it. Why did he lose it? He cursed it. He cursed it. And he goes, you know what? I actually didn't want to touch my gun. I had people come and anoint it with oil and pray over it. I didn't want to touch by him. He cursed it. So I took that to heart. Then I got an email from Tim Coop about two or three days later. Tim said he had been praying for me. And Tim's my mentor. And uh, Tim said, Chuck, I've been praying for you. And, and I want to say something that really... I don't want you to ever forget again. It's something he reminded me of. He said, recently you honored me. And I've watched you honor and bless others. And I want to remind you of this. It will always come back to you. I'm praying it would, but I know it will. Because you've honored and blessed others, it's going to come back to you. And I thought, that's true. So uh, a couple months after that, I'm in a particular living room. There's the person. And they start to cry. Uh, we are having the most in-depth conversation we've ever had in our lives. And they're crying. 
And I'm feeling really awkward in this moment because we've never touched. And I stood up and all of a sudden they almost came flying off the couch and she threw her arms around me and she's crying and Pam's looking at me and I'm holding on to her and she cries more and more and more and then she says this. She goes, Chuck, I just don't want to lose you. You are one of the greatest blessings in my life. And as I'm holding her, I realize you are to me too. You are to me too. Now I want to ask you what changed? Me. She was always there, always the same. It was me. And God changed it all. And God can do that for you too. God wants to do it for you. We've just got to say we want to learn our lesson here. So I'm going to get personal now. You ready? If your business is not doing well, are you cursing it? If your marriage is not good, are you cursing it? If your children are not a joy, are you cursing them? If your finances are not flourishing, are you cursing them? If Crossroads is not the most awesome church you've ever been in, are you cursing it? If you do not think this is the best sermon you've ever heard in your life. Oh. Oh. And whether you do or not, guess who got super convicted over the course of time? This is me too. And I don't want it for you and I don't want it me to ever be a person who veers off course in this area. God loves you way too much. He just loves you way too much. And you know what? In the, in the letter of James, James says these words, no man can tame the tongue. And by the way, you might say, I know I've tried. Are you ready? What, what, you know who can tame it? God can tame the tongue. No man can. You can't. I can't. But God can. And what do you need to do? You need to surrender your heart. We're going to go to a time of invitation right now, and I'm going to ask this. Please, from now till the end of the song we're about to sing, please don't slip out, because if you get up to leave, I'm going to complain about you. <laughs> so please don't. Right now is too important. It, it's only a few minutes. I know you have other things you might need to do, but nothing's more important than someone giving their life to Jesus Christ, and we don't want anything to distract from that. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you've never said yes to the Lord, let me tell you, He will come to you. He wants to give you a life that's amazing. He has a plan to do that for you. You matter to Him. And right now, how do you, how do you enter into that life? You know what you do, but with words. The Bible says you pray, you talk to God, you call on the name of the Lord. And, and when you say those words, God wants to come to you and to love you and to change your heart and change your life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us and to make us brand new. And right now, if you do not have a true, intimate, dynamic relationship with him, the way you enter it's just to tell him in, in a moment, I'll lead a prayer. I'll just go to prayer and I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer and say yes to him. They're going to ask you to do something really brave that God would want you to do. And that is to mark this day as special by doing something we call coming forward. I want you to know God will take these two steps and, and cause you to connect with him in a very deep way. Today, if you're here and you're a Christian, and you know that not only do you need to stop having a, a mind that's filled with negativity and a mouth that speaks complaining words, 
what should you do? Some of you, some of you honestly need to take a next step moment and say to God, forgive me and cleanse me. I'm going to pray that prayer again. Recommit my life. I'm going to step out. I want this to be the day it all stops, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to pray that prayer. Some of you today, now think about this. The reason you're complaining is you've been hurt. You've been betrayed. You've been wounded. And it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. But here's the thing. Let go. Don't let whatever was done to you define you and dictate your life. You choose today to give it to God and let him take power in that area and cause you to be a person of praise. And what do you do? You pray and tell God, I want it. Some today here may have got caught up in things you never should have. And God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. So I'm going to ask you today to pray the prayer with us. And there might be couples here today that you together have started down the wrong road. Your marriage isn't good or your relationship's not got what God wants it to be. And today could be a day of transformation. And I think if you study the Bible, you see families make decisions together. And there may be a couple in here today, your kids have been praying for you to do this. And I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us. I thank you, God, that your word teaches us how we relate to you and how we live life in a way that's overcoming and victorious and joyous, even sometimes in difficult moments. God, I pray right now for your Holy Spirit to touch people, to touch me. I ask God for you to move right now. And I pray there would be those who would pray the prayer to say yes to you for the first time. And I pray those who need to pray it right now know it. They can sense this is their moment. I pray, oh God, that you would touch anybody who needs to recommit their life to you. God, I pray for people who are sitting here like me that got convicted as your word is unleashed. And rather than hiding from it, we now are going to embrace the truth that you can tame our mouths and make us different. And that we could be a people of praise and our lives are about to change. And, and God, I pray for those that need today to commit to you completely that they would understand that by doing that now, there's a blessing coming and blessings coming and victory coming and they would say yes to you. And God, for a person who's sitting here right now and they feel guilty, I pray God that, that they would be freed from that. I pray they'd be touched. For the person who's sitting here and they can see the face of someone that they've unleashed negative words on and they don't think they can get it back, God, I pray today they know they could. And for the couple that's here today and they, their marriage should be so much better, God, I pray somehow you're going to just speak to both of them and they're going to say yes. Right now, I'm going to lead that prayer, and I'm going to ask if you're ready to say yes to God or recommit or you need healing, would you pray this with me? Just whisper these words. These are the best words you could ever say to God because if you say them and mean them, he's going to say yes to you. He's going to embrace you and love you. So let's pray this together right now. Do you want that life God has for you? So pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me, and I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin. To heal me from all hurt and all pain. To free me. To free me from my past. To free me from fear. 
and to free me from myself. And I say yes. Yes, I want you, and yes, I want the life you have for me. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. And if you said those words, I think you can sense it. His love's upon you. Say, fill me with your spirit and help me live the life I'm meant to live and help me be who I'm made to be. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, (laughs) praise God.